Porn Free Radio, episode 70. Well, I can't believe it. This past week, we just celebrated two years of Porn Free Radio. Episode one launched April 29th, 2014. And I'm so excited. I mean, it's been a great couple of years. It's changed my life. I totally have gone in a different direction than when I started a couple of years ago. And it's all because of you and, and really your commitment to recovery and your commitment to, to really digging in and taking action. Um, that's been the thing that's been keeping us going. And today's episode is going to be unlike any episode we've ever done before. The reason why it's going to be focused specifically on partners. And partners are those supportive people in our life, the wives, the girlfriends, spouses, who are supporting our recovery. And we're going to talk specifically about their experience. We're going to talk about uh, what and when to tell them the, the process of disclosure. And we're going to talk about what kind of resources are available for them. So it's specifically aimed at partners. And to get this right, I'm bringing on Hope Ray. This will be our first therapist who comes on. And she works specifically with partners and complex partner trauma. And just the whole uh, connection of partners uh, to those of us in recovery. So I can't wait to get started. This is Hope for Partners. Welcome to Porn Free Radio. This is the podcast where motivated guys who want to quit looking at porn, get hope, and take action. Even if you feel lost right now or out of control, you can recover and live a meaningful life free from shame and full of love. Now here's your host, coach and podcaster, Matt Dobschutz. All right, welcome back. This is the podcast for motivated guys who want to live 100% porn free. And I'm so excited you join me today. I get a ton of questions specifically about wives, what to tell your wife, how to deal with your wife, how to help your wife, um, how not to hurt your wife. I get tons of questions like that. And I actually get questions from spouses and partners out there asking me different questions about uh, their husbands, about their boyfriends, how to help them, uh, how to how to encourage their recovery, all those types of things. And it's been so many of these questions. I have a stack of them that I thought it would be worth starting a conversation with someone who can actually shed some light on the partner experience. And so that's why I've invited Hope Ray to come on. And she's a therapist in Michigan, and she works specifically with partners. And she works alongside another therapist who works with sex addicts and those uh, in recovery. And she supports the partners and she works with the partners. And so I really wanted to get this right, and that's why I invited Hope to come on. Now, whether or not you're in a current relationship, it doesn't matter. This episode, there's so much to learn from it. Hope uh, shares about the partner experience, but she also actually shares a, uh, a way to check in uh, with partners and other accountability people in our life uh, that really helped me. I actually took notes on it, and I've started sharing it with some of my coaching clients. So um, there's a lot to learn in this episode. Before we get into today's episode, I want to talk to you about Sprint Coaching. Sprint Coaching is my one-on-one coaching program where I work with you directly to create a custom plan for your own recovery. I provide accountability and feedback to you. Now, the reason why this is so important, and I remember when I was first in recovery, I was just like trying to piece together my own plan. My wife was supportive, but she was having a really hard time with just the content and some of the things that I was struggling with. And I was having trouble explaining it, and it was just really difficult. And I would have done anything if I could have gone to someone at that time to just get advice, to get support, and for someone who kind of got it, more importantly, someone who could help me take the steps I needed to to eliminate porn from my life. I was fighting for my marriage. I was fighting uh, to recover uh, trust and hope with my wife, and I needed support. So consider coaching, especially when we talk this episode about partners and your relationship with your partner. Consider coaching as a way to help support you and your wife 
and support your own recovery. So if you're interested in coaching, go to pornfreeradio.com slash coaching. That's pornfreeradio.com slash coaching. Fill out the application there. It's really short. We'll jump on a call for 30 minutes and we'll talk. I'll answer your questions. I'll explain the coaching packages that I have and we'll go from there. All right. So go to pornfreeradio.com slash coaching for more information. All right. Let's get into this episode with Hope Ray. Hope, welcome to Porn Free Radio. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be with you guys today. Well, it's it's so great to have you. And as I said at the top of the show, you are the first uh, clinician counselor to be on the show. Uh, and the reason why I reached out to you was because of your work with partners and helping them heal. And I really wanted to get this right. I wanted to start a conversation about partners and what we can uh, do to help them. We get questions from from spouses and uh, wanting to to help their husbands or their boyfriends. And so I really thought it was worth uh, investing some time and looking for someone who could really help and and in the conversation. So I'm really excited that you're here. That's great. Thank you. I'm excited to try and help answer some questions and and just speak from my experience and uh, and hopefully hope some or help some folks sort through some of these issues today. So thanks yeah, for definitely. reaching out. So hope one question I get asked over and over and and partly this is because of the way I set up Porn Free Radio when I first started telling my story, one of the main uh, things that I come back to is this idea of disclosure and and being open with your spouse about pornography. And the reason why I put a lot of personal emphasis on this was it was really important for me in recovery to be fully known by my spouse, to to really be open because there was this part of me that was hidden in the addiction and these needs and all these things, and these wounds were hidden. And so I could never feel love at a deep level. And so even though it was painful uh, in recovery, it was so important for me to be open and to, to expose the secrets and to be known. And um, so I've talked a lot about that on the show and episode one and two talk a lot about that. But that sort of, you know, talking about that, that brings up a lot of concerns for people about when they should disclose to their girlfriend or to their wife about their pornography use. Um, and then, you know, things like that. So I kind of wanted to start the conversation just asking, what do you think about telling your wife about pornography use? How, how should that start to, how should that conversation start? Man, that's tricky. And I tell you, it's not a one size fits all universal type of answer. Uh, I definitely echo your sentiments. It's important when we're in a committed, uh, deep, connected relationship that we allow ourselves to be fully known. That's part of vulnerability. That's part of what makes deep connection and intimacy possible. And that intimacy gets stolen away with our secrets. And along with our secrets, uh, we have we have more uh, fuel, I guess, to continue moving in a direction that keeps us isolated and and not able to connect as deeply with our partner. And so, when that secret is pornography, it should be shared. Now, how do you go about that? It's very it's very much individualized, but I can offer a few suggestions. The f- first and foremost, though, I would say it's important for someone struggling with pornography addiction or just even compulsive use around pornography to share that with their partner so that their partner understands uh, this this thing that's going on in the shadows. And the reason that's important is because a lot of partners have a hunch something's going on, or they may feel internally that they aren't um, as attractive. Uh, for instance, let's say a, a spouse and and her husband are, are getting ready to be intimate, uh, and perhaps there was some pornography and masturbation earlier that day. And so it's possible that the man isn't able to follow through with that intimate setting, and so the partner's confused by that. Uh, you know, is it that I'm not attractive enough? Is it that I I'm not sexy enough? Is it because I gained weight? Is it because your 
you're so stressed out at work? What is it that makes you not want me? And the truth is that a partner really needs her reality validated. If she's got a hunch that something's not right here, the truth is something isn't right and it needs to be brought to her attention. Now, how do you do that? Well, it's tricky. I mean, some sometimes guys just kind of want to lay it on thick and say, this is the deal and I'm sorry and I'm ashamed of it and I don't know what to do, but I just needed to tell you. And, and that can cause a lot of traumatic, uh, you know, I guess, dialogue between the two where a partner's reacting out of anger or hurt or fear of what else could there be? How have you been keeping this secret? Where have I been when you've been doing this? So a lot of times these types of conversations need some degree of structure. And uh, if if pornography use is, is for the first time being announced to the person, uh, it needs to be done gently, sometimes in a supportive environment, say in a counseling session. Um, but Living and maintaining the secret, the longer it's maintained, the more the betrayal mounts for the partner because that partner is sitting there conducting life and and moving forward in closeness and relationship with the person struggling. And, And meanwhile, they don't realize that maybe while they're at work, this is going on, or once they're in bed, this is going on. And so the betrayal mounts with more and more time that passes. I think your point about just the the partner having uh, i think the word used uh, at one point when we were talking before was a sniffer that she has an idea of something that's going on mm-hmm. um, but she's trying to fill in the blanks of what's what's going on and and what's what's actually happening and i was thinking i heard brene brown talk last year and she said that something that she always struggled with was uh, she has these stories that she tells herself and so when she doesn't have information, uh, she starts, you know, filling in the blanks. And so when the partner experiences, um, you know, when a partner experiences their, their, their uh, husband pulling away or, or, or not being, uh, not being present, uh, in intimacy, uh, then the story they tell themselves is, you know, I'm not attractive or something's wrong or, um, when, and actuality, if they had a binge with porn, you know, they would be in a refractory period or their bodies, they wouldn't be ready for sex or they're having trouble um, connecting. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's such a great point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sniffer is very real. And uh, a lot of partners who are women uh, tend to have uh, an ability to kind of tune in that something's not right. And I call those hunches. And when we have a hunch, the problem with the hunch is that it tells you something's up, but it doesn't tell you what it is. And so right. partners will extrapolate, anyone will extrapolate where there's a, a lack of details, our minds will fill in the blanks. And oftentimes, uh, when fear is present, or concern is present, we will fill in the blanks to the nth degree, meaning that we'll... F- yeah, the worst case exactly. scenario type of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally, I totally get that. I know for me, one of the things that was really hard about that early, those early disclosure conversations was I was trying to be honest and trying to explain, um, but it was overwhelming trying to think through why I did some of the things I did or what I looked at. And, um, and trying to explain it to someone who had no idea uh, was really difficult. Uh, what do you think about in terms of what kind of specific specific? I don't know. It's how a hard word. <laughs> <laughs> how specific do you have to be, or like what? What are some coaching that you would say around uh, that? Just about when those questions come, like what did you look at, or what sites did you go on? Those types of things. How does that? Mm-hmm. Um, is that helpful? Is that unhelpful? Like what, mm-hmm. what do you think? Well, I think, I think what you're saying is right on the mark that for, you know, a lot of partners who aren't familiar with pornography use, uh, it is, it can be jarring to understand some of the details of what's available out there these days. And to, to think about their spouse, you know, being aroused by certain things that uh, can seem deviant or can seem, you know, just kind of really stretching the imagination. That's, that's, scary. I can understand that for partners. And I can understand that for the person who's revealing these behaviors, disclosing the porn use, that 
it's really terrifying. You don't want to hurt your partner and you don't want to, you know, freak them out. And, and you know, you're not sure they'll be able to synthesize the information if, if they aren't familiar with this type of stuff. And I would say this, I, I put my money on partners. They're smart. Uh, they, they tend to want to know details more than they don't want to know. Although sometimes there are cases where someone just says, I've had enough details. I don't want to know what's going on here. Um, the idea would be that, you know, partners need to understand kind of the, the, the general categories of what's going on. And if it's specifically porn use where the, the acting out is happening, um, or meaning that, you know, porn use is the only sexual secret going on, then do we talk about which websites we're going on? Do we talk about, you know, the types of pornography that we're looking at? In some cases, partners will ask that. And I would suggest that when that's asked, especially if that can be in a therapeutic setting, that those questions should be answered. And really, partners um, have the right to understand, you know, what's going on here behind their back, but do need to access or, or utilize some degree of of discernment in the questions that they ask because they're signing up for some details in their minds that may outlast the uh, the current state of fear and anxiety, meaning that the relationship could really rebuild and, and the person struggling with pornography is, you know, really uh, gaining some momentum and sobriety and moving through that. And the partner yet is still remaining with these these ideas or these visuals in, in her head about what happened. And so um, I think it's difficult to gauge particularly what a partner should know. I think the partner gets to determine that with her questions. But at the same time, the partner needs some guidance, some counsel, some support to understand that she may be filling her mind with details that that will outlive the stress of the moment. And that can really fracture parts of their ongoing sexual life. That can really fracture, um, you know, just certain uh, ways in which you see your spouse. And so it's not about keeping yourself in the dark, but it is about being mindful of how your mind and your brain might not forget things that are put in there. And so you want to serve yourself well and find out details that can be valuable to your recovery, meaning valuable to your healing, but not necessarily, um, you know, taking away from your future. Does that make some sense, Matt? Yeah, it totally makes sense. And I, I, one thing that I would say is uh, for a partner to understand is that when you're in porn use, you get bored with the same types of images. And so what ends up happening is you're constantly, if you're in the addiction, you're constantly looking for variety, novelty, something a little exciting or different. And so what ends up happening is you can get to some dark places that you would never do a Google search on when you first started. Mm -hmm. And it really is hard when you're when you've when you've come clean and when you've stopped the behaviors, it's really hard to explain how you ended up on some websites that you ended up on. Because when you're aroused, when you're looking for that variety, you make choices that are not 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 mm -hmm. rational sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so it's and you're in a little bit of a fog. So I think that that just needs to be understood. It doesn't excuse the behavior. It doesn't excuse the the betrayal. Um, but there is something to that. That I, there were things I looked at in the past that I you know, I'm completely ashamed of now, and are totally out of my character. Mm -hmm. But I, I but the truth is, is is in the moment I was clicking on things that were inappropriate and definitely push the boundaries. Mm -hmm. So it just, I think that needs to be uh, known. Hey, one other thing, Hope, that that I've, I've wondered is when you're uh, in recovery and you have a plan and you're working on sobriety, you're checking in, you're doing things to take care of yourself in healthy ways, what if you have a slip or if you're feeling drawn to uh, to to act out, mm -hmm. 
how can you share that in a healthy way that doesn't re-traumatize your spouse, that, that basically resets that you're still committed, that you're in this, but you need to be known, you need to invite them in um, so that you can make a choice. I'll give you an example. I had a, uh, a coaching client who uh, doesn't have access to a, a laptop in the house. And at some point he found out the password and he was really concerned. He wanted the password changed. It was really important for him, but he was worried that if he asked for his wife to change the password, she would get concerned or upset. Mm. Um, so it was like he wanted to do the right thing. And it was really the, the fact that the laptop was open was a concern to him. But he wanted, you know, he wanted to ask for help. Um, so what, what, what do you, what would you say to a, to, uh, to a guy who's struggling with just wanting to disclose that or, or something yeah. small? Yeah. Well, remember that something small or something that was a near slip, but wasn't a full slip can still feel, uh, you know, quite distressing for a partner simply because the trust has been broken, right? In most cases where right. these have been secrets from the get-go, uh, there's there's a distrust around the behavior of pornography. And so when, when you know, someone is saying, you know, there's been this little slip or I almost or I've been feeling triggered, that puts a partner in a heightened state of, all right, let me brace myself for what else there is, or let me keep asking questions to figure out what really went on here. And that's a natural response where there has been some distrust. So one thing that someone struggling with porn use can do is is not soften it so that it, it seems sneaky, but be very clear and very um, straightforward in, in offering what's going on. So here's a few ideas. First of all, I don't think that, it, that someone struggling with porn should rely on their spouse as the accountability partner. I think the spouse should be privy to whatever information is pertinent about the, the porn use, but that on a regular basis or when struggling, someone has a coach such as yourself, or, you know, maybe they have a sponsor through a 12 step program or, you know, a friend or whatever a group where they are continuing sure. to uh, be accountable and held to that accountability. Uh, that alleviates the burden from the partner because she's not meant to play that kind of mother role, right? They need to have a partnership sure. where they can restore some mutual trust. So if he's coming to her and wanting to be accountable, that can be problematic. If he's coming to her and wanting to just simply update her, that can be very loving. The way to go about doing that is to be clear and direct. Now, if we're talking about something that was, you know, I, I've been feeling triggered lately or the other day when a pop-up came on, I, you know, I did click on it and then I realized what was going on. I never, I never moved that into any sort of masturbation. I, I went right to my uh, coach, Matt. I called him and, you know, whatever whatever happened uh, is, is given to the partner in that moment. I think that can be really helpful, straightforward information. Um, what I like to do a lot of times is have partners set up a check-in with their spouse. And really, the person struggling with the porn use is the one to initiate this check-in. Maybe it's on a weekly basis. Uh, maybe early on in recovery, it's on a daily basis. And the check-in really kind of covers a few different things. You know, their feelings uh, throughout the day, any activities uh, that they've been involved in throughout the day that uh, this is essentially the person's schedule. Um, the sobriety, uh, you know, if, if they're still in a sober place, they just say, I'm still, you know, May 5th, you know, still going strong. And then they talk about sure. any tools they're using to help. Well, I, I called my coach today. Well, you know, um, I've got a 12-step meeting later on this week. Um, and then the last thing would be any uh, triggers that they've been having. Uh, and, and, and we don't have to get into terrible detail about these triggers. But, you know, if if someone was traveling that day and and they noticed that, uh, you know, when they were at the magazine rack, you know, there were some magazines they could have picked up that they chose not to. That can go into the triggers category. So I call this FAST, F-A-S-T-T. -T. I honestly don't know where that came from. That's the check-in I've been using for these <laughs> past years. So FAST. Oh, my gosh. Wait, I wait. I love this. This is great. So okay. I am going to my spouse and I'm going to say, listen, I want to check in with you once a week to keep you aware of what's going on in my recovery. 
you're not my accountability partner. This, you're, the burden is not on you. This is completely f- just so that you have an idea of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to check in. I'm going to first talk about feelings, any feelings that are coming up. I'm feeling sad this week. I'm feeling stressed out at work. Uh, I'm angry. You know, I'm, I'm kind of going, I'm, that's, th- that's what I'm feeling. These are some of the things that are behind that or underneath this. Uh, then I'm going to talk about my activity, my schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I, I know like um, for me in the early days, unaccountable time was really big. So if I had a, a whole Saturday alone, I'd have to sort of think through that and what am I going to do and schedule my time. So maybe I might talk about that Saturday or, you know, this Saturday you're going to be out of town. Mm-hmm. This is my plan for that. So talk about activity uh, so sobriety or sober. Mm-hmm. So I'm still on a sober path. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing's changed with that tools. I'm, I'm making phone calls. I'm going to my re- celebrate recovery group. I'm going to, um, I'm, I'm calling my pastor, whatever, whatever the tools are that they're using that week. And then triggers. Mm-hmm. I, um, uh, was triggered by a pop-up or, I wanted to watch a show on HBO or I saw a woman at the the checkout line that I was drawn to and I avoided, you know, that type of thing. So that kind of those types of things. Right. And, you know, some people will, instead of the word triggers for that last T, they'll use threats. And threats is more, you know, is has there been anything threatening to my recovery? And this might be uh, this might be the area where somebody says, you know, there have been no threats in the sense that I have not moved into a danger zone uh, with my recovery. A few triggers may have happened and then they could list those if they want to. You know, sometimes discussion around triggers is really tough for partners when that partner has. Uh, the information that there was a trigger related to an attractive woman in front of them in line at the grocery store, that can feel really distressing for the partner. And the reason that feels so distressing is because most partners kind of, you know, clinch up and feel, is there some level of desire inside of you that would want to be attracted to her? Or is there something uh, that that you're not satisfied with enough with me that would allow you to even be open to attractive other women. And that's where this type of conversation can go off the rails. The partner feels that way because of the betrayal, because of the hurt, and because of the the distrust that's generated around porn use in the relationship. Uh, so it's natural for her to feel that way. Um, it's also natural for the for the person using porn to want to share, you know, well, here's some of the triggers. And guess what? I was really successful. I didn't look at her. I didn't do the double take. You know, I'm, I did fine. I, I'm trying to show you I'm doing well. And at the same time as he's sharing that, she's feeling distressed. So I want to just say this, that I don't believe it's a good idea for partners to have to feel like they need to give high fives, you know, where triggers have been avoided. While that is a wonderful recovery uh, accomplishment to keep moving despite triggers and, and to keep on a sober path, that needs to be celebrated within the accountability group so that partners don't have to feel like they need to congratulate you. The reason for that is because partners really see it as a baseline requirement that you're not, you know, looking or lusting at other women or, you know, voyeuring in some fashion right. or, fee or things like that. So I'm, I'm highlighting this piece just to illuminate what the partner's experience is like. Now, we still need to talk about triggers, um, but it, it can be a tricky dance. And it's really important to be honest and open and as vulnerable as possible when talking about those triggers. A lot of times partners will have questions. They'll want to really get to the mindset behind why was that a trigger for you? And as you sort these things out, especially with a couple therapists, that can be very helpful. Um, the partner will be able to better understand uh, that this is this is a mindset that doesn't have to be operating, meaning that when, like you mentioned earlier, Matt, when you're kind of in the groove of the addiction, when it's very active and you're just kind of in that trance-like state moving in and through it, uh, what happens is, uh, you know, it's a mindset that when you jump out of that mindset and you're you're into the recovery mindset, it's almost like two different selves. 
And so partners want to understand more about the shadow side. They want to understand more about the addictive mindset. And and it can be difficult to reveal that part to her, but it is important for them to understand what was what was operating within the person during the active addiction time. I think that you came up with a great point there. Uh, the one about not wanting a high five for basically doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. You know, um, I think sometimes as guys, we want credit for doing things that we should just normally be doing. You know, if I uh, am, am, if my wife is out for the evening um, and my wife went to reflexology yesterday, got a foot massage and, and uh, I was with the boys and it was kind of challenging. If she comes home and I'm just like high, wanting a high five for watching our sons, which is something I should be doing anyway. Yeah. It's like, it, it, you know, it's like, that's what I should be doing. I'm not babysitting this. I'm a father. I'm taking care of the kids. Um, mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we come from that passive sort of um, addictive place where we start, you know, making real strides in recovery, but we want credit. We want the high five for basically doing the what we should be doing. Um, yeah. So, um one thing that worked for me was to to be concrete in my um, in my sharing and be very um, matter of fact, report it. Um, and so, in the example of the 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 woman at the checkout counter, I could say, you know, I would say there's no threat to my sobriety. Um, I want to let you know I saw a woman. Um, there was some pull. And this is what I did to avert it and try to say it as succinctly as possible. I felt like Brilliant. in the early days when I used a lot of words, yes. <laughs> um, my wife got the sniffer, you know, got what's going on, what's he hiding. And so the better I could be clear and focused, the, the, the less questions came back. And, and it's not because mm-hmm. she didn't. Uh, it's not because she had all this more trust in me. It was just she was tr- she was trustful that I was being honest and that I had told her what needed to be told. Yes. One of the partners that I work with recently was complaining about just that. You know, he's he's been having some uh, kind of off the mark behaviors. They aren't necessarily slips. Uh, but he he's trying to tell me about these things. And as he's sitting there explaining, 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 my blood pressure's raising, raising, raising. And, you know, it ends up in a fight simply because she she's, you know, becoming heightened, ready to fight if she needs to. Uh, you know, her cortisol levels and things are, you know, everything is just kind of pounding inside of her as he sits and tries to figure out the best way to say this thing. And so we've devised a plan that perhaps he can have on a piece of paper uh, the statement that he's going to share. And he can do one of two things when he's come home from work and he has the paper ready, it's in his pocket, and he has the statement memorized. And so he is saying, um, you know, he says, hey, I have a piece of paper. And, you know, he can either hand it to her, she can take it and read what it is, or he could say to her, you know, here's what's on the paper. Yeah. And it's uh, it was just a, a quick way because these aren't slips. These were more the idea of of you know different different things that could be um, related to that. So if if we're talking about a slip or a, a, especially if there's been a, a binge or a relapse of some sort, that stuff really needs to be handled, in my opinion, with someone there to to help guide the session. A therapist who understands about the pain that the partner's in, and yet also understands that there's an addiction on the table here, and that's what's at work. Uh, That can be really important in disclosing those types of details. Yeah, no, I I was thinking even a slip, I remember uh, probably several years ago, there was a, a point where I followed a hashtag on Twitter and it led to a number of tweets coming back that had sexual images. Mm-hmm. I didn't click on them. I was on my phone. I didn't click on them, but it was obviously sexual content. And I knowingly clicked this thing. I was curious and I definitely, there was a part of me that was pulled to it and I clicked on it. But when my wife came to bed, I just, I just said, I need to tell you something. I was on Twitter tonight. 
there's a hashtag that's remote, that's sort of sexual that I knew had some sexual content. I clicked on it. I didn't follow any of the links. I, you know, but it was real concrete. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not relapsing. I'm not binging. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go back to it. And I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't remember what the, the outcome was in terms, I mean, I don't remember if I took Twitter off my phone or what the next step was, but, um, but the concreteness was the thing that I think helps her is, is, is being really specific, owning it, being really clear exactly what happened, how, how long it took the time, you know, all those things. Right. And, you know, the idea of staggered disclosure or where somebody kind of finds the porn use here and there and then they think it's gone away and then they find it again and then, you know, the person says, yes, I've been using porn and then, but I'm done. And then there's another disclosure or another discovery down the road. What that does is that really erodes the trust for the partner. And so it causes simple statements such as, I have to tell you something to be tremendously scary. Yeah. You know, and so the the idea of I have to tell you something can feel like like a police knocking at your door in the middle of the night kind of a thing because they just don't know what to expect. So sometimes uh, it, not that we want to ambush someone and say, by the way, this happened because, um, you know, you can't it, part of the natural consequence of this is their pain. The partner's pain is a natural consequence of the secret um, or of the porn use. But um, but to work with your partner, talking with her about what, what works best for us here. Does this phrase, I have to tell you something, does that jar you? Or is that a good indicator? Do we want to save all this for a check-in at the end of every night? A lot of guys will use what we call the 24-hour rule, which means that if any sort of slip happens within 24 hours, I actually like to condense it down to 12 unless maybe they're traveling on a trip or something like that. But I like to condense it into 12 hours within the time uh, that something like that has happened. You are getting on the phone with your sponsor, getting on the phone with your coach, checking in in therapy or doing whatever it is that you need to do to get your mind right about it. And then you're going right to your spouse with it. And again, shouldn't be an ambush, but there should be maybe even a code word used where we need to have, you know, a check-in. And it's because I have a disclosure to make. One, once some rules and parameters are set around check-ins, they don't have to be terrifying because, see, a, a couple can decide we're not going to just check in if I've totally relapsed and binged on porn. We're going to go and see our therapist if that happens. Right. I'm responsible for scheduling that. Um, I'm responsible for letting her know that that's come up. And I'm responsible for maybe sleeping on the couch that night or who knows, you know, yeah. that kind of a thing. Um, but a check-in can be a safe place to discuss threats, uh, you know, triggers if necessary there, and also, you know, any types of slip type of behavior. And uh, and so a partner doesn't need to feel alarmed when an emergency check-in comes up because it's not going to mean relapse for her. That's been the agreement between the couple, right? Yeah, no, I think that's great. I mean, I think the 12, 12-hour rule is a great rule to consider and, and, um, and, I like the idea of having a way that it's handled, the way that you talk about it so that it isn't uh, coming out of the blue. I, to this day, when I say I have something to talk to you about, my wife still, yeah. it's been years. I, I said that, um, I said, I said that the other day, I needed to tell her about something and uh, um, about work or about kids or something. And I, I started it with that. And she said, what happened? And I said, Janice, it's been five years. <laughs> like, how many more years of recovery do I have to? Yeah. Um, what happens is the brain kind of uh, embeds that statement as alluding to something dangerous. Right? So that's what happens. And so it's really just worth, you know, chucking that statement all together. If for the partner, it's a problematic statement. I yeah. love that example you just gave. <laughs> Oh, Janice. I know. I know. It's, it's, well, yeah, it's, it's, and I've been in recovery for like 13 or 14 years. So it's like, you know, it's, it's like, when do I get, when do I get off the, the hook? Never, never really. But, (laughs) but, um, anyway, so that, that's kind of funny. I wanted to ask a couple questions specifically about for partners. Uh, you know, a lot of these have been from sort of, uh, you know, my audience's perspective, but I know that there's some partners who listen. And, um, 
one thing uh, that was asked by uh, a woman named Helen, she asked specifically with trauma, how long does it take to go through that process? Like what, what typically does it take for a, for a, for a spouse or a partner to, to experience the trauma of this and to, to start to recover? Right. Well, there's a lot I could say clinically about the word trauma, uh, because there is a specific definition for trauma. Uh, but when I want to talk about the word traumatic, meaning um, of trauma or like trauma, tra- uh, it's, it's something that happens of a traumatic nature, of a trauma nature. And that's very much in line with the experience for most partners when they discover that they thought they had an exclusive sexual relationship with their husband and they find out that there has been, um, you know, a real breach of the contract. And if, if it's stayed within the realm of pornography, meaning that there hasn't been physical contact with another, that's not necessarily any less painful than had there been physical uh, contact. Uh, And so what I want to say is that the longevity of the problem, the amount of secrets, the amount of deception and lies, the amount of of, uh, betrayal uh, that mounts for a partner will will influence how, how traumatic the situation is. And when I say traumatic, it's a relationally traumatic situation. Uh, there are many layers to this type of trauma. First of all, you feel like, you know, it's an inside job. It's the one person who, you know, was signed up to love you and to take care of you the best is actually causing you such a painful, uh, painful harm. Yeah. And so it's mind boggling. It causes a real reality collapse for a lot of partners. When I go through my complex partner trauma model with with partners who've been betrayed, one thing that they really nod their heads to is yes it's like I I I it feels like my past is a farce uh like you know our relationship as we had it I I knew there might be some porn use I didn't know there was this much or I didn't know he kept at it for the last six years or you know and so they almost feel just so like they don't know the person and they wonder then about the future you know am I safe is this going to keep going? Is there other secrets? Now my trust is getting obliterated. I'm not sure I can trust that he's even being faithfully faithful physically to me, you know? So right. they have and I, I remember I struggled a lot with lying. So yeah. even, even when we had had disclosure, I had a plan, I still kept lying and hiding. And, yeah. um, and it got to the point where I would have to just confess lying. I'd be like, I have something to tell you. I lied about this. And yeah. that, that yeah. was just painful because, you know, here I am. It's not only that I've gone and looked at porn and the whole betrayal related to that, but then there's the, the just right. fundamental trust of, of being truthful and honest. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I speak more about rigorous honesty, which is a concept that, uh, that a lot of folks who, who treat sex addiction use. And, uh, and the idea of it being that every Every morsel that comes out of you should be honest. It's yes. a practice. It's yes. like learning a new language. And an example I like to give is, you know, if you came home and you let the dog out and then you did the dishes and then your wife comes home and you say, hey, honey, I did the dishes and then I let the dog out. No, nope, wait a minute. Rewind. Not that it's a problem. I said it that way, but it's actually not true. I let the dog out and then I did the dishes, you know, that that kind of a thing. It's just a new moral code to live by. And it's really, really powerful in rebuilding trust. No, I I shared an example, I think on the podcast a few months ago, I was coming home from a, from an actual, like a actual night of therapy, kind of a celebration night for a group of people who went on a, on a therapy weekend. And it was rather late and I hadn't had dinner. And on the way home, I picked up a sandwich so it took about five minutes to get that sandwich. So I came home a little later than my wife thought I should have. And she said, did you stop anywhere? My first reaction was, no, I didn't stop anywhere. Or my first answer. And then I had to go back and say, well, I actually stopped and got a sandwich. And she said, you know, why did you tell me that you came you know, straight home? Like it, yeah. and it's the rigorous honesty. It's like that. Right it's fundamental. It doesn't have anything to do anymore with the addiction, so to speak, but it was that habit of not being completely honest that really the addiction thrived. Right. 
you know, and the idea is where there's distrust, questions will begin to bloom. Like, you know, why why wouldn't you have wanted to tell me that? Was there something else going on that is that why you're concealing this? You know, and it, truly it wasn't the case. But, you know, the rigorous honesty is so important. You know, back to your question about how do we heal from this, this distrust, this, you know, feeling of 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 traumatic uh, damage to our relationship, maybe to our self-esteem, maybe to our world as we know it. And the truth is that you really, you really do need support to heal from that. And it can't just come from your husband being in a good recovery. Yeah. It simply can't. Because I tell you, if your husband were perfect from today forward, that wouldn't erase the pain or eliminate what you've been through. Yeah. It wouldn't fix it for you. So you've got to get support. And there are good resources. Uh, there's good you know, therapists out there who are beginning to really understand the impact on partners. That's part of my mission and goal is to spread the word about the partner's experience and what complex partner trauma feel like and, and how do we work with it. So, you know, it takes some time. But what I would say is that what we want to do is we want to kind of peel back the layers of trauma. And you can do that in a few months, really getting yourself structured around what's going on. What do I need to do? I need a healthy plan moving forward, some some boundaries in in um, uh, in moving forward and, and different things that I can know I'm safe, regardless of whether or not he's going to act out. I can know I have a plan and I can know I can heal. So those are the types of things you can do within a few months. And then ongoing after that, you know, especially in some therapy or support groups, Bible studies where, you know, you're able to focus on, on healing your heart. That's, that's the longer work that takes place. When I was a ministry leader for many years, we worked with guys who were in sex addiction, but we had men and women, um, dealing with relational issues. And, um, a lot of times a partner would call, and she would tell me about her husband's addiction. And he was in no place to get into recovery or to, to start working on it. He just wasn't, he was in denial or, or whatever. And she was fully aware of what was going on or, or had an idea. Um, and I'd always invite her to come to the program. And, and she'd say, well, why should I come? I go, well, you're the one who needs support. You're seeing the problem. Uh, you're the one who's calling me you know, you should come. And I never, no one ever showed up. I never got a partner mm -hmm. to come, but I always thought, oh, I wish she would just come and, and just be a part of this supportive group um, because she would get so much out of it. Right. In the same way that a, a, a person with an addiction needs recovery, a person with the pain of it needs healing. And that healing doesn't come about because someone else gets into recovery. The wound is still there. Right. And if you leave the relationship, that wound doesn't disappear along with the relationship, right? It needs focus and time. That's the unfair thing about being a partner. That's one of the few very unfair things about being a partner. You didn't ask for this. You didn't sign up for this. And yet you have to take some active role in helping yourself heal. And that's really frustrating. A lot of partners want to sit back and kind of put that work in the in the person with the addictions lap. Uh, and, and while that person with the addiction is absolutely responsible for getting into recovery and that's his thing, uh, you know, he needs to support her in getting support so that she can heal. That's great. I have one other question that I wanted to bring up on this show and, and hope as we're talking, there's so many questions that I have and I know that my audience has. I'd like to invite you back in four weeks, and I'm going to start to figure out what the date is on that. Um, but let's get together in four weeks and, and answer some questions uh, specifically from the audience. Would you be open for that? Let's do it. That sounds great. I'll be here. Okay, well, I'll, I'll figure out what date that's going to be, and I'll start uh, talking about it in the next few podcasts. And you can great. either send your questions in for your partner or if your partner wants to email me, Matt at pornfreeradio.com. I can start collecting those questions for Hope and we'll have her come back and answer specific questions. But the, the last question I wanted to ask today came from a listener named Tara. And she asked this, do you know of any podcasts or similar resources for people like me uh, who don't want to give up on their significant other, but instead be supportive and want to learn how to be supportive in the best way possible? What can, mm -hmm. a, what can a partner do potentially to, to help 
someone who really wants help and is, is working on a plan, what, what can they do to support their husband or, or spouse in this case? Okay. Well, there are lots of resources out there, uh, and I can name a few of those. But, but really to the heart of your question, how can you help support your partner? I got to say, I commend you the courage to even dare to go there because, Tara, it is so difficult to after he having been wounded by this thing, rise up and now be a counterpart or an agent in that person's healing. And that takes a lot of, of dignity and a lot of self-respect to say that even though I've been hurt here, I can uh, function in this capacity as long as I too am healing, right? And so I would challenge you to first keep an eye on your own healing. Make sure you aren't pressing yourself beyond your limits. For instance, if you're feeling hurt or if the detractors distrust is flaring up again for you, that's not the time to stand by his side and say, you know, but whatever you need, honey, that's the time for you to get support, for you to kind of retreat into your support group or network, for you to have a vulnerable conversation with your therapist and maybe your husband there as well. So you need to make sure you are keeping yourself intact. Uh, Then to support him would be to allow him to, you know, have his accountability outside of you, trusting that He will let you know, uh, follow your agreements for what you do need to know. Now, if distrust is a real problem there, it can be difficult to say, sure, honey, go to your Celebrate Recovery group or go to your accountability group or your coach and, and tell them everything. And I'll just trust that you'll let me know if something's up. If that's not comfortable for you, then what you need to do is is have many, many conversations around that type of information you're expecting, when you want this information, how you want it packaged, does it come in a, in a check-in style, does this information come in a therapeutic setting where you do an actual disclosure, does this information uh, happen on a weekly basis in therapy, what's going on here that you need, take, take the reins on what it is you feel you need. Once you bring your needs to the table, your spouse can choose to deliver or not. He will understand what you're looking for. He will agree to those things and and be able to, you know, follow through or not. And that gives you a lot of information about how well his recovery is going and how, how much he cares to help restore your trust with him. At that point, then I say, you know, you will find that you're starting to share the burden of his of his uh, pain with him, whatever it is that maybe drove him to pornography. And you'll find that there may be a real ability to share that grief together. You guys own the story and hold the story in the same way. And maybe out of that comes helping others. Maybe out of that comes a closer connection for the two of you. Maybe out of that comes breaking the chains of this addiction that may have run in your family line for many years. And so you'll just have to give it some time. You need to first make sure, though, that you're taking care of yourself, not stretching yourself too far, not extending too much trust where you really don't feel it. You want to be authentic there. And then once you're feeling safe, you help support by allowing him to have his accountability and do the things he needs to do to keep himself undergirded with strength and support for his recovery. And then thirdly, as you're feeling safer, the two of you turn toward each other in a new way, perhaps. And and out of that, I can't tell you what comes. You'll find new ways to support each other. The picture I like is when you're on the, the plane and they tell you about use your own oxygen mask first before you help another. Yes. I think that's so key. And uh, I love also this idea of you can really determine how and when you want information. So I think it would be great Mm -hmm. to say to your spouse or partner to say something along the lines of, of if you're going to disclose that you've had a significant binge, I want to do that at the counselor's office, Mm -hmm. or I want to do that with our pastor, or or I want Mm -hmm. someone else there um, so that basically I can hear it. I can be safe. And then, we can talk about what you need to do to get your plan back in place. I think that's a perfectly, mm-hmm. perfectly normal expectation that you could have some control over how that disclosure happens uh, and that that would mm-hmm. be uh, a way to take care of yourself. And then in yeah. terms of like check-ins, like what kind of frequency would you like? Um, where, in, you know, Tara actually wrote a little more at, about not wanting to be the porn police or his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah, you want to really be a good partner, 
but you can you have a lot of say in how and when you connect over these topics and how you talk about them and how safe it is. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, for different partners, porn means different things. For some, uh, porn is extremely um, distressing. Porn is extremely offensive. For others, it's less offensive, but they don't want their husband using it anymore because now he has a problem with it, right? And so when somebody feels that porn is is degrading to femininity and themselves and they feel completely offended and, and just so hurt and torn up by it, uh, that becomes less difficult for someone to not act like the porn police because it it's a value that feels antagonized, right? right? And so they're they're extremely involved in what is going on here and is this happening and in, in, in any small form is this taking place? And so it's a little easier for folks who feel less threatened by pornography to to step back and say, I don't want to be the porn police. Uh, but you know, the truth is that over time, if you feel like you're putting your needs on the table, I need to check in. I need to know where you're at with your recovery. I need to know what you're doing with your unaccounted for time. Uh, when If you feel that slowly over time there's been sobriety and you're feeling like you can rebuild trust, then at some point you may find that the weight that pornography once had on you, the... Uh, it won't loom over you as such a powerful thing any longer, and you will feel a natural ability to release that to his accountability group. That's so great. Thanks, thanks, Hope. This has been so helpful. In four weeks, we'll have you back, and we'll answer questions specifically. But in, in the meantime, how can people get a hold of you? Where, where can they reach out to you and c- connect if they want to know more about what you do? Well, thanks, Matt. My website is hoperaytherapy.com, hoperay, R-A-Y, therapy.com. And it's recently launched, but there are a few resources on there. We have some videos and uh, particularly a webinar that I did for the Center for Healthy Sex in, in California, where they had me spend about 45 minutes talking about complex partner trauma. And that can be a really great place to start uh, for anyone who wants to know more about the partner's experience. You can also contact me via the website if you have any questions or you'd like to get in touch. There's a contact page, and I would look forward to hearing from you. Great. And I will have the links to that in our show notes. Uh, the show notes will be pornfreeradio.com slash 70. That's pornfreeradio.com slash 70. So thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, Matt. This is uh, such a privilege and an honor to be to be able to reach other folks that aren't in my network and uh, hopefully offer some support to areas where there's questions. And, and I want to just be a cheerleader for everyone out there who's focusing on recovery. This is great. Well, that was an awesome show. I really enjoyed meeting Hope and learning from her. And she will be back in four weeks on Monday, June 6th, to answer more of your questions about partners and dealing with recovery in relationships. And I'm really looking forward to that. So if you have questions or your partner has questions, you can email me at matt at pornfreeradio.com, matt at pornfreeradio.com, and I will be coordinating questions and asking Hope them on that show on Monday, June 6th. Now, Hope emailed me right after we talked, and she said that she determined who originally came up with the FAST check-in process. It's Dr. Milton Magnus, and he wrote a book called Stop Sex Addiction, Real Hope, True Freedom for Sex Addicts and Partners. And that's available on Amazon. The check-in process is just like she described. The order's a little different. It's F is for feelings, A is for activities in recovery, S is for sexual sobriety or a slip report. The first T is for threats and the last T is for tools. Now, Dr. Magnus actually recommends that you should be having these check-ins for at least three years following disclosure with, a, with your partner. And that it's the responsibility of the sex addict to initiate these check-ins. So it's something that you should start to think about, including in your recovery that you can do with your wife or partner. So something to think about, we might talk more about it in future episodes. And if you have any questions specifically about that, let me know and we'll either talk to Hope about it or we'll talk on on a future episode about it. 
All right, so that's all the time we have today. Until next time, guys, take hope and take action. Be good. Thanks for listening to Porn Free Radio at pornfreeradio.com. To work with Matt one-on-one, go to pornfreeradio.com forward slash coaching and help us get the word out by subscribing to Porn Free Radio in iTunes and leaving a rating and review.